Hey guys, gals, we, the, they, them, whatever makes you feel sexy. Yep, that's right. It's your girl B here back at you with our long-awaited return episode 15 of Strip It Down, entitled Going Viral. So obviously I'm sorry about the excessively long break since my last episode, but my entire world has been turned upside down in the past few weeks, and I've really been trying to put all my time and energy into stabilizing my situation for myself and my family. My club was closed down over a month ago, and it looks like that's going to be that way for at least another month, if we're lucky. Clubs are always the first to get closed and the last to be opened in this kind of a thing. Um, My husband is now having to be the sole provider for our family because I'm unable to work. My kids are out of school, school's closed, daycares are closed. Not that I could afford to pay them even if they were open now that our income has been drastically reduced. Um, I've had to become a full-time teacher, as I'm sure a lot of you have, (laughs) while doing my best to assist my husband as much as possible to keep the money coming in. Now, luckily, he's loosely considered essential in that he's a residential construction, so for now, he's allowed to work, but obviously, people are not falling all over themselves to spend unnecessary money right now, and so it's very uncertain as to how much business he's actually going to be able to maintain throughout this, but we're hoping it will be enough. Not to mention, he's having to go out every day and interact with people and go to stores and all that, and that puts his health at risk and ours in the process. So needless to say, it's been a long few weeks, as I'm sure many of you have struggled. I've been struggling. I've been struggling to find hope and optimism during this time. It's a lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my rent next month. I don't know if we're going to lose the business we've spent six years building. I don't know if my kids will graduate and go to school next year. I don't know if my club's going to be around to open back up when all this is over. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay positive all the time or if I'm just going to succumb to a bottomless pit of depression and anxiety at some point but I'm going to do my best just like I think all of us are to take it one day at a time and try not to forget who I am and what I love during these distracting and discouraging times so I was like fuck it let me get back to ranting to everybody about all kinds of stupid shit so here we are So it's not news to you guys that the world's gone crazy these past few weeks. You know, we watched as things went from, oh, that's concerning, when information began to trickle in about a new virus causing issues in China and in Europe, to full-blown holy shit mode when things hit home and you found yourself all of a sudden jobless, broke, and getting fatter by the second in your house eating Kit Kats while you watched Leslie Jordan's Instagram for just one second of comedic relief in your otherwise mundane and horrifying new normal. I think we've all had the moment of realization that if we had to explain this to our past selves, we would feel like lunatics. So you're telling me that some dude ate a bat, supposedly, and it made him sick with this virus that transmits super easily and is very serious, especially for sick or older people, and it completely incapacitated whole countries in a matter of weeks. Then it made its way over here, and now we're all being forced to stay locked in our houses to keep from spreading it while our economy takes a nosedive and our bills stack up to kingdom come. Like, what the fuck? It sounds like the beginning of every single zombie apocalypse movie that's ever been written. And yet, here it is, happening to us in real life. Right now. And there's just nothing that we can do about it. But once we all try our best to accept the fact that no matter how we feel about this whole thing, we think it's stupid, we think it's conspiracy, we believe it's super serious, um, it's the news fault, it's Trump's fault, whatever you believe, we all have to admit that it has drastically impacted our lives. And for most people, it's been for the worse. 
This week, I want to talk about the different ways that this pandemic is affecting different types of people and how it has highlighted some previously unvalidated issues that were already within our communities, how vulnerable populations are being affected differently than others, and the ways that even in a time of global cooperation and panic, the powers that be are still finding the dime and the motivation to try to keep sex workers down. But what can we do about this type of discrimination and bias, especially in the face of such a crisis? Is this the kind of opportunity our adversaries have been waiting for to finally snuff us out? Or will their alternative motives come back to bite them in the ass when people are finally able to relate to the frustration and difficulty sex workers endure every day? Let's strap up and strip it down. So, um, like I said, I think that we can all agree that COVID-19 has had a negative effect on our, our daily lives. Financially, physically, mentally, we're all on thin ice and there's no real end in sight. Aside from the beautiful silver lining that people like to constantly throw out right now about how the earth is finally healing in our absence and people are spending quality time with their families, having time for themselves to rest and to recuperate, and how we're seeing this amazing teamwork and bipartisan efforts to come together to beat this thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's all great, but let's not pretend like anyone is glad that this has happened and that it's not extremely stressful and scary. It's also impossible to generalize the impact of this situation on people because it's affecting so many different types of people in so many different ways and to so many different degrees. A person getting paid leave and full benefits to stay home because their employer has assured them that they will have a job when this all clears up and they have a comfortable debt to income ratio and money in their savings account. They might in fact be quite appreciative of this pause in reality. Aside from being concerned about their loved ones or amazed about this whole thing, they're loving getting to sleep in, read books they've always wanted to, spend time with their kids or their spouses or their dogs or whatever. They're trying new hobbies. They're taking long walks in the beautiful weather. It's great. But a single mother that's just been fired from her low-wage job, whose kids are now out of school, who has no way of getting or paying anyone to watch them, for her to find an essential job so that she can live, who is living paycheck to paycheck already and can't seem to get through to unemployment at all, is one week away from being homeless as she watches her credit card stack up and credit go down, not knowing how or if she'll ever be able to rectify this situation once this thing is done. She's probably not seeing the beauty of this moment just right now. <laughs> Now, of course, those are two extremes, and most people fall probably between in the middle somewhere between those, but the fact remains the same that we must remember that we cannot speak from a position of privilege and assume that everyone is in the same place that we are. The interesting thing about this whole situation is that it challenges the way we like to dehumanize people and blame them for their misfortunes. For instance, a lot of people like to ignore generational poverty, education barriers, gender and race-based discrimination, and other uncontrollable circumstances that impact and challenge how successful people are going to be able to become. They like to say, oh, just work harder, try harder, do this, do that, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that, etc, etc. And sometimes it's just not that simple. And I think this pandemic is starting to uncover a lot of these holes in people's perceptions, giving them proof of the things that we've been saying for a while now. 
We're seeing now more than ever that the effects of wage gaps, inflation without cost of living pay increases, generational trends in home ownership and in birth rates, they're all starting to come a little bit clearer that we're all in a house of cards built on a system that was just not going to be able to hold up forever in its current state. People at the top of the tower might be like, nah, things look great from up here, there's nothing to worry about, y'all are just complaining. But those of us at the bottom that have been struggling from this weight above us for quite some time, we can see the support starting to buckle. And no matter how we were kicking and screaming, no one was paying attention. Which brings me to my first point of today's rant about how this epidemic has exasperated generational bias among age groups and proven a lot of the points that us millennials have been saying for quite some time now. I'm 30 years old, almost 31. I was born in 1989, which makes me part of the often stigmatized and constantly criticized group of people known as millennials. Millennials are often typecast as lazy, entitled kids that want to get everything for nothing and don't understand hard work or traditional values. We're selfish people who don't want to have kids because we only care about ourselves. We're disconnected because all we do is work. We've lost touch with humanity because all we do is stare at our phones. And we could afford a house if we would just stop eating all that avocado toast. (laughs) And this pandemic is giving no shortage to those types of criticisms. The media blasted us as being irresponsible for refusing to self-isolate and to continue to travel. Selfish for prioritizing the economy over the lives of our elders. And lazy for being overwhelmed by the responsibility of balancing the health of a nation and our own mental well-being. But just like the aforementioned criticisms, those are vastly exaggerated and depressingly misinformed. (laughs) For instance, all those spring breakers you saw on the beach getting drunk during lockdown, yeah, that was Gen Z. Not that it matters, we can't control their lives any more than older people can control ours, but to the media and stubborn older generations, the the distinction just doesn't matter. Just like it hasn't mattered about other things we've tried to discuss over the years. We're continuing to work and push on, not because we don't love our elders or care about the world, but because we have to. We have tons of debt, bleak future prospects, and people all standing around us saying it's our fault for not being prepared for this. But that's not entirely true, is it? I'm generalizing, of course, but, but you know, please don't get me wrong. I, I know my fair share of lazy and delicate millennials that don't give a damn about the world or anyone in it. They're vain and self-obsessed, and they're definitely no credit to our generation. But I'm just saying that as a whole, I think we've been painfully typecast. I'm already a pretty compulsive reader, but all this quote-unquote free time <laughs> has left me the ability to be able to do that even more and read a million articles a day and that's been helpful because it's really given me a lot of amazing information and supporting statistics that can really help illuminate what I'm trying to talk about right now. Millennials are entering the second recession of their young lives. The first one came in 08 right as most of us were just entering the job market. This recession made it harder for us to get financing, to get or to pay for student loans, to open businesses, and even to decide what we wanted to do. We had to come from a place of necessity and to choose responsible and reliable forms of employment, making us feel depressed and unfulfilled. (laughs) We were getting lower pay, less job opportunities, and all of this right off the bat, which put us further behind in savings, investing, and retirement than our predecessors. This limited the range of our economic reach even before we had had a chance to try. And of course, here comes number two, right as we reach the peak working years where we need to be making as much as possible to make up for our slow starts, our bad credit histories, and help secure our futures. Not to mention this is happening while a lot of us have finally started to get married and or have kids, which we have put off until middle age or not at all due to many of these challenges, which has doubled our expenses and our burdens. 
Millennials are a particularly vulnerable group. We have less savings, less investments, we own fewer houses to be able to sell or to rent, we make less money, and are less likely to have paid benefits like sick leave. We have over half a trillion dollars of student loan debt and an ever-increasing amount of rent and childcare expenses. Compounding this is that we are for now disproportionate holders of the kinds of positions disappearing the fastest. We make up the majority of bartenders, retail workers, and general service industry personnel. We are also heavily dependent on gig and contract work that we've come to rely on to supplement our stagnant wages. And this pandemic is just not helping that situation at all. (laughs) In a new report, Data for Progress found that a staggering 52% of people under the age of 45 have lost a job, been put on leave, or had their hours reduced due to this pandemic. And this is compared to just 26% of people over the age of 45. Nearly half of millennials said that the cash payment the government was sending would cover not even a week or two of their expenses, compared to uh, a third of older adults saying that. We did everything we were supposed to do. We avoided smoking and drugs and alcohol as adolescents, (laughs) with the instances of dependency decreasing steadily throughout our years. Aside from the opioid crisis, which of course is a whole nother can of worms, and which many have suggested is in direct relation to some of these types of pressures and mental health struggles that we were faced with, we went to college in record numbers, like our parents told us to, (laughs) seeking supposedly stable careers. Yeah, right? Because studies have shown that young workers entering the workforce in a recession absorb large initial earning losses that take years and years to overcome. Every 1% point bump in the unemployment rate costs new graduates 7% of their earnings at the start of their careers and 2% the construction up to two decades later. That's like insane. During the 08 recession, unemployment hovered around 20 to 30%. That's a lot of lost earning potential. Um, A major Pew study found that millennials with college degrees and a full-time job were earning, by 2018, what Gen Xers were earning in 2001. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. We're just spoiled and we waste money, right? Because that's what it is. Low wages and increasing cost of living resulted in heavy debt burdens, with the cost of higher education exploding much faster than the rate of inflation or wages. It left most millennial borrowers with an average of $33,000 in student debt. I'm no exception to that. I have a healthy $29,877 left to pay on my student loans, not including interest. (laughs) And then to add insult to injury, while we were struggling to pay down our debts with our disproportionate wages, we also found ourselves shut out of the real estate market by housing shortages, predatory loans, and sky-high prices. Rich boomers had bought all the houses and made building new ones very difficult, and millennials were forced to keep renting, constantly transferring wealth from the young back to the old. Put it all together, and millennials had no chance to build the type of nest egg that older generations did, the kind of financial cushion that helps people deal with situations like this, start businesses, invest in real estate, or even go back to school. Going into the last recession, Gen Xers had twice the assets that millennials have today. And now Gen Xers have four times the assets and double the savings of younger adults. We've had less opportunities and financial stability from the get-go, and yet we find creative and dedicated ways to try to get around these struggles and get ahead, and we're labeled spoiled or unattached. You know, we've been fighting an uphill battle this whole time, and now we're getting knocked down once again with lots of uncertainty as to if we will even be able to get back up. Before this terrible thing even happened, millennials were already set to be the first generation in modern history to end up poorer than their parents. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that other generations are not struggling right now or not dealing with the terrible repercussions of this impending recession. 
I know personally my grandparents lost almost all their retirement savings in the stock market in one day, and they're not the only ones. It's definitely affecting all people, no matter the age or class or whatever. I'm just pointing out some specific challenges that I and other millennials have experienced and that we've had to endure and how it relates to the fact that we've been saying this for years and no one has been listening. Now it's like we just finally have the proof to back up what we've been saying. It's never seemed to occur to people that we were work obsessed because we have to work almost twice as many hours to make the equivalent pay as our parents. We're not spoiled and lazy. We're underpaid and overcharged. We have more expectations with less rewards. And now we're middle-aged and potentially parents just trying to keep our heads above water. And now, thanks to the coronavirus, the water just got a lot deeper. (laughs) Um, But what's the point of all this rambling? You know, is it to cry about how unfair it is that old people don't understand us? No. It's discussed the fact that there are perfectly legitimate reasons why a group may be disadvantaged. And if people can understand this example of generational distinction, then maybe they can begin to see other inequalities such as racial, political, religious, economic, and gender discriminations. The list goes on and on, but for the context of this discussion, I will say maybe if people can understand and relate to how young people found themselves so blindsided and unprepared for this kind of a disaster, then maybe they can understand and sympathize with sex workers that find themselves in a similar position. In the sex industry, we're often looked down upon and criticized. Some Instagram posts of money and flashy cars are supposed to represent our entire entire community as a whole and give the impression that we're just cash cash flushed, economically blessed, and situationally self-assured. But that's just not always the case, as I've ranted about before. Most people enter sex work as a means to escaping or improving their situations. Now, this is not to say or encourage the stereotype that all of us are victims with terrible lives. I'm just saying that sex work provides a way for a lot of people to rise above their circumstances and to find independence and security when they might not have ever had been able to otherwise. And I know for me, it's just so hurtful and infuriating to have people discredit the industry, its influence on culture, its support for communities, and its place in modern society. There's also no other thing in this world that every human is interested or participates in that is so passionately ostracized and shamed. It's like the old saying, everyone poops, right? You know, but just because you don't like the smell, you just think that you, no one should be allowed to do it. Like, fuck you. And I know that's gross and kind of stupid, but it's not really different if you think about it. The irony of this discrimination is tenfold during this pandemic. At a time when people are transitioning to working at home, suffering from the side effects of social distancing that's making them crave connection, and consuming online sexual content at an astronomical rate, of course they are still failing to see the value of sex work in their lives. It'll definitely be interesting to see how this shift in interaction adds value to our occupation after this, or if it just continues to miss the mark. I cannot tell you how often I would argue with a customer about prices. You know, he'd whine and cry about a dance costing $10. 10 freaking dollars. Now, I know it costs different amounts in different cities and that kind of thing, but for the sake of this example, where I work, it's $10. Most people spend that much on their morning coffee, but it's asking too much for a personal, enjoyable, and intimate human interaction. You know, we pay movie stars and athletes millions of dollars to entertain us, and yet a real-life person sitting in front of you, being your therapist or your fantasy or your friend or whatever you want and need, and $10 is just too much? As people are sitting in their homes, staring at the same four walls or the same person that they live with for days and days on end, desperate for any social interaction and any kind of novelty, it will be interesting to see if they come back to the club with a renewed sense of appreciation. I won't hold my breath on that one, but we can all hope, right? (laughs) Dances have been $10 since 1991. 
So much like the stagnation millennials have faced with their employment wages, we in the industry have also suffered these types of barriers. Clubs taking advantage of non-employee status while imposing employee regulations, financial disadvantages in lending and banking services, and discrimination from healthcare workers and police enforcement. But one of the most blatant and inhumane forms of outright discrimination that I've seen during this crisis is the exclusion of any and all categories of sexually oriented businesses from the Small Business Loan Administration. Like, oh my God, when I went to apply for my husband's business and I saw the disqualifying criteria, it took everything in me not to throw my computer because I was so enraged. I mean, he qualified, that wasn't the problem, but you know, for other people in the sex industry, it is. The CARES Act has amended many different types of legislation in order to try to accommodate the unprecedented circumstances that we're facing with this coronavirus. It has expanded unemployment to include independent contractors and gig workers. But I'll bitch about that disaster another time. It has opened up billions of dollars in aid to small businesses and local agencies, and it's offered stimulus payments to citizens to try to help during these uncertain times. But I would love for someone anyone to please explain to me how anyone could read those SBA guidelines and defend such an obviously prejudiced piece of legislation. Under the amended guidelines, even independent contractors such as myself can apply for a small business loan. Hairdressers, musicians, Uber drivers, whatever. All kinds of people can submit a claim and hope to have some kind of relief come their way. Because our government has compassion for the struggle of the American people, right? It understands the changing economic landscape of these challenging times and recognizes the need for flexibility amid this unparalleled catastrophe, right? Yeah, for everyone except sex workers and those affiliated with them. Like what? (laughs) I mean, even in a time like this, you're still finding the time and the contempt to go out of your way to exclude an entire population of already vulnerable citizens, their basic rights. So for context, this, the exact statement reads, applicant does not present live performances of a prurient sexual nature or derived directly or indirectly more than the minimum gross revenue through the sale of products or services or the presentation of any depictions or displays of a prurient sexual nature. And in case anyone was curious, prurient, prurient, I can't say that word, oh my god, Prurient is defined as having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. It's absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's vague, but this is so obviously excluding strippers, cam models, porn actors, nude models, etc. But what's curious is that it can disqualify so many more people than that. Sex toy manufacturers, club owners themselves, magazines, lingerie stores, producers, directors... Who knows, you know, anybody that works in that capacity in the adult industry, agents, art figure models, how nitpicky are they going to be if they wanted this kind of generalized description? But either way, it doesn't matter. It's absolutely ridiculous and it's blatantly unconstitutional. The restriction against prurient businesses receiving federal disaster funds dates back to 1995 when the Clinton, Clinton administration helped define the SBA's eligibility rules and regulations. The SBA determined that it would exclude small businesses that engaged in, quote, lawful activities of an obscene, pornographic, or prurient sexual nature. Ignoring how painfully rich that is coming from the Clinton administration, considering the scandal that he found himself in, it doesn't change the fact that it was plainly discriminatory then, and it's even more so now. This was written when it was assumed to not only be needed in rare instances of disaster that happened on a small scale to a small population of people— 
you, you know, but no one's going to feel bad for a stripper who can just go get another job if she needs to. Well, that's just not the case this time. An entire country of people are being forced to stop generating income, go into their homes and basically hold their breath and hope that everything they've spent their entire life building isn't going to be washed away in a couple of weeks. The government says it's recognized these extenuating circumstances, which is why they've made the amendments that they have to include more entities and relax qualifications. But again, not for us, you know, not the whores, never the whores. We're not people, right? It doesn't matter that we're legally employed and that we pay federal taxes out the ass. We're still not eligible for aid because of why exactly? A bunch of uptight old white dudes are uncomfortable. You know, our core customer base is uptight old white dudes, but that doesn't matter. You know, they don't agree with our lifestyles, so they don't want to help us out. But you know who is eligible? You know, who did they make a special point to write the rules for during this time of great change and tolerance? They're motherfucking churches. Now, look, I'm not going to go into religion or any of that touchy shit. You know, you can believe whatever you want and do whatever you want. I'm not defaming any of that. The point that I'm making is not that I give a shit that the government is allowing them to apply for aid. Whatever. It's that they're allowing them to apply for aid and not us. Churches pay zero federal taxes. Okay, they contribute no money or resources resources to the economy and are, in fact, a subjective, subjective entity themselves. Not everyone agrees that we should be able to shake our asses in a private setting between consenting adults. Okay, but not everyone agrees with religion or the privileges that church is receive anyway. But we seem to be the only one that's getting excluded in this situation. So directly from the SBA website, it says... Quote, to clarify, faith-based organizations are eligible to receive SBA loans regardless of whether they provide secular social services. That is, no otherwise eligible organization will be disqualified from receiving a loan because of religious nature, religious identity, or religious speech of the organization. However, it seems that otherwise eligible organizations of a prurient sexual nature will be disqualified from receiving a loan because of sexual nature, sexual identity, or sexual affiliation. I mean, wow. <laughs> Just wow, you know? It's, it's pretty insulting when you think about it. I know, I'm, I'm like crazy and heated and all that about this, but it's just, it's just so unfathomably hard to believe. But also not hard to believe at the same time, <laughs> you know, people were livid when it seemed like politicians were bickering over irrelevant and agended items when they were supposed to be passing, you know, the CARES Bill Act. They, they were enraged to think that they were using our suffering to promote their own personal vendettas and the ensuing stall to the desperately needed relief was met with swift and sharp criticism. Citizens were united. They were like, argue about abortion and saving the environment later. You know, you need to help us survive right now. You need to get this done. However, when they're so obviously denying us the same rights and assistance as literally every other business, so publicly and so scornfully, it just doesn't seem to matter to anybody. Well, it matters to us, and it's not acceptable. And I have no doubt that the strong and smart people of the sex industry will not take this lying down. Pun intended. <laughs> There's going to be a reckoning regarding the blatant mistreatment of these individuals during our time of need, and I personally cannot wait to see it and hope I get to be a part of it. You know, at the risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, I can't help but wonder if these types of bureaucratic regulations have been left in place to assist the elimination of the sex industry, particularly the in-person workers. I think these assholes have conceded that they cannot turn off the internet, you know, there's no going back as far as that's concerned. The amount prevail well, even though they've tried, 
even though they've tried with FOSTA and SESTA and all that. The amount and prevalence of online content is growing every second, and it would be impossible to slow or corral it. Hell, we, we all know those uptight bastards are beating their shit to it right now, but it's easier to digest because it's private. You know, it's between that person making it and the person on the other end of the screen. You don't have to drive past the building on your way to church or tolerate their presence at your town hall meetings or listen to residents of your city complain of crime or dangers these businesses are supposedly encouraging. And your voters don't have to know that you've allowed it to continue. But by refusing as many sexual businesses aid during this time, the virus may have done a lot of the legwork for these people. Without funding, clubs will have to close. Models and entertainers will have to rebrand themselves or go digital, which most have. Sex shop that Susan hates driving past to on the way to her book club will be no more. And they won't have to get to that single speck of dirt on their grimy little hypocritical hands. I don't know. I know I'm being hella dramatic right now and it's like, okay, I'm two seconds away from putting a tinfoil hat on my head and going into my bunker, but I just can't help but wonder about the convenience of all this, you know, for people with an axe to grind against the adult industry. It just doesn't make any sense why legislators would spend so much time considering and rewriting all these policies for so many formerly unincluded individuals, somehow miss the impact an exclusion like that would have on a huge population of people. They know they know. They just don't care because sex work isn't real work and sex workers aren't real people. <laughs> Other factions would notice, complain, protest, but I suppose they seem to think we won't. Well, fuck you. You know, sex is the oldest occupation in the world, a universal pursuit and an economic mainstay. It will always be there in one capacity or in another. This historical event may have forever changed the landscape of millions of industries, the sex industry included. But no one should ever think that we will ever fully be abolished or that we'll go quietly if they try. Oscar Wilde famously said, everything in the world is about sex, except for sex. Sex is about power. And we have a whole lot of sexual power behind us on this one. Yeah, so that was fun and informative, right? <laughs> I know it was basically just me uh, raging about things that I can't help, but I'm heated about the subject right now. You know, I can't help it. I just don't like being put in a position where I'm unable to be autonomous. I've always been fiercely independent, and sex work has helped me maintain that through some of the hardest times of my life. But to be going through this horrible circumstance with not only the security dancing has given me completely gone... But the insult of closed-minded people trying to kick us while we're down is just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, you know? Uh, so yeah, I'm really fired up and angsty about the whole thing. Unemployment giving us the runaround isn't helping that frustration either. Ugh. But I think that everyone is just dealing with their stress and outrage differently right now. And compellingly debating my grievances with you guys is the way that I'm doing it. <laughs> so thanks for listening. I want to know what you guys are thinking, what you guys are feeling, what you're going through right now. You know, what do you expect will come of all this? I want to hear everything. We're all in this together and there's no denying the repercussions of this moment in history is going to be felt for generations to come. And that's some heavy shit, you guys. <laughs> I miss being able to pay my bills. You know, I miss going to restaurants like fucking cheese dip. And I miss spending times with my friends and my family the most. But 
I missed yakking to y'all too. And thanks for tuning in again and sticking in there with me and my flaky ass. I'm going to try to get back on schedule since, you know, what the fuck else am I going to do? But until next time, please be sure to like and subscribe, share, rate, and review the show. Um, please tag or mention me on Instagram in a story or on your wall, if you will. It really helps me find uh, new and different audiences. And also don't forget that you guys can call in to be a part of the show. And I might feature your question or comment on an upcoming episode. You just go to anchor.fm slash bstripsitdown slash message. And you can leave it there for me. Or you can email me at bstripsitdown at outlook.com. Or, of course, you can message me on Instagram or Facebook. But until next time, I guess we got to... Stay your sexy ass at home, but still drink more water, have more sex, and go the fuck to sleep.